it's hard to not think, oh bless, this is all in vain, isn't it? Hello and welcome to the Euro What, episode 210, dropping on November 21st, 2023. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. In this episode, we'll be attempting to perform an Ireland gut rehab with our special guest, Alex McMillan. Hey, Alex. Hi, Ben. Alex, welcome back to the program. Glad to be back. It's been too long. Yes, it, it really has been. It's nice to bring you back in like a full Eurovision context instead of a partial Eurovision context. Yeah, I, I don't want people to think I'm some sort of half-hearted, fair-weather Eurovision fan. I'm here uh, in the good times, and I'm here in the bad times, and we're going to be talking about a heck of a lot of bad times today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, because last time on, on the show, we talked about the good days of Mill Street and the Imperial phase, and now here we are just going like, okay, but like, what happened? This is analyzing the, the black box flight recorder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> well, before we dive into that, Thinking back about the good times, how was your Eurovision 2023? Oh my gosh, it was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, it's been a dream of mine for a long time to actually get to a Eurovision Song Contest in person. And basically when it became clear that the UK would be hosting on behalf of Ukraine this year, I was like, okay, hell or high water, I'm making it to this contest. It just so happened that, you know, the two cities that got shortlisted happened to be the two most convenient places for me to get to from Belfast. Uh, it ended up being in Liverpool, which was great because that is a ferry ride away. And yeah, it was just oh, so joyous. It was so nice seeing a city just fully embrace that culture, and especially in the UK, somewhere that, you know, so often gets slated by its own press for being kind of like an outsider in Eurovision, a black sheep. Uh, it was just so nice to be there. It was incredible. I got to see the rehearsal for semi-final two in person in the arena, which was such a wild atmosphere in there. The number of bodies in that room, the number of people hanging on Hannah Waddingham's every word was just incredible. And then we also got to see uh, the the actual recording of semi-final one from the Eurovision area that they had set up outside of the arena on the big screen. And that was maybe even more special. Everyone lying out under the stars, the sun was setting, you're all listening to cha-cha-cha at the same time, everyone's singing along in this massive outdoor space. It was just incredible. The vibe in the Eurovision Village was just real special. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before, and very possibly uh, since, you know, I've got the bug now. I'm looking, I'm looking at Malvo and I'm like, can I justify the price of this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get bitten, it's just like, okay, just got to reprioritize things. So, <laughs> I don't need a house. No, 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 no. Besides the prospect of Malmo, anything else exciting you for 2024 as we get nearer and nearer to the proper season? As someone who, as we have uh, previously discussed, big uh, American Song Contest fan, I, I can't help but uh, bear in mind the idea that we were promised two other contests Eurovision Canada and uh, the Latin American Song Contest, which seem to have gone a little radio silent. Um, so I'm hoping those resurface. I just sort of think of it as just like Christopher Bjorkman is just going country to country like uh, Conan O'Brien's monorail salesman and just like selling them on on what if you did a song contest? Opened up his leather jacket to reveal like a Petra Mede just hanging there. Maybe that's why the American Song Contest fails is like Kelly and Snoop are doing their best, but we did not have a Petra. No one can reach those lofty heights, but I, I 
Paris, obviously we won't get too sidetracked with the American Song Contest again, but like Snoop and Kelly were their own brand of weird. Oh and- yeah, no, like it, that, like uh, that was part of the magic for me. It was just like, oh, these people are not used to doing live television. And I think that's why I'm so like desperate to see, you know, these new franchises try and bloom. I'm like, what weirdness is lying in Canada? What weirdness is lying in Latin America that we've been missing out on for 50 years? There is definitely Canadian weirdness. And now that you bring that up, it's like, ooh, maybe I do want that. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm just like, no, I need to see all of all of the very Canadian content. Just give, <laughs> given broadcasting mandates, give me the CanCon. I want to see the wannabe bare naked ladies bands. I want to see proto Kylie Ray Jepsen's. Uh, so I'm really, you know, desperately looking forward to that. I'm excited to see what the next steps for the UK are. I think that's a big thing that's been on my mind with obviously uh, Tap, was it, stepping aside? I think that has left a big window of potential for the BBC to uh, potentially squander, but also potentially do something very special with. And so uh, hopefully we will see, you know, there's obviously a recharged energy, a passion for it in the UK. The BBC have seen how important it is to the UK. The semi-finals will be on BBC One from now on. That's a big step up. So yeah, it's exciting to see what they, they do with that, how they try to capitalize on Euro fever. The reason why we are here, many years ago, we tried to extreme home makeover the big five. And checking in, like they're generally doing pretty well. Like Italy won. That was never a concern. Like they were always doing a very good job. Uh, the UK and Spain had a big 2022. The UK did did a beautiful job of hosting in 2023. France did pretty well in 2021. And Germany is also here. We're just going to sweep them under the rug for a second, but also, what are y'all doing? Now, just looking to other nations that could use some TLC, Ireland just felt like a really good first choice. There was an imperial phase in the, in the 90s. The claim to fame was like, they have won the most times. If you look through all of the Ireland in the Eurovision Song Contest year pages on Wikipedia, they all lead with just like, Data won and she was 18. And then, and then like the paragraph <laughs> has to continue it and gets a little update every year. It feels qu- quite bizarre to me that culturally in Ireland, it became sort of a joke as to how good they were at winning to the point that, you know, it's like we didn't want to keep winning because we couldn't afford it. And and now just like that wish has been granted. Like trying to pinpoint, okay, where does it turn? And like, I don't know, it's been a bumpy road, at least as long as I have been watching the contest. I came in at like the tail end of 2008, which was Irlanda Duzpoint year. They're trying stuff, but I'm not sure that the right people are behind the trying stuff. I think I would agree with you that Irlanda Duzpoint felt like a big moment of sort of surrender. Like that idea of like, okay, look, we don't know. We don't get it. Was this this competition has left us behind to some degree. Let's try and make a joke of things. And I remember seeing a video way back when of someone in the Late Late Show audience as Dustin won. And everyone's applauding, everyone's cheering. And the moment the cameras go off, you just hear them go, oh, Christ. Like the, <laughs> the whole room just turns. They're all like, this is dismal. I'm really surprised that Ireland got so sour so quickly with Dustin the Turkey. They were doing fine up until the semifinal era and actually having to qualify into the contest. But even then, they had a couple of automatic entries into like following year's contest because relegation was still in effect. And they didn't start running into trouble until, well, 
they missed qualifying in 2005. So like that was the first hiccup. And then it was 2008 where like everything went off the rails. <laughs> but yeah, and it's just been kind of downhill since then. Looking at Ireland's record in the semifinal era, it's been a very mixed bag. Uh, Ireland auto qualified for 2004, did not qualify in 2005. Uh, they had a strong showing in 2006, which gave them an auto qualification in 2007. And then the following 15 times, they have missed the final 10 of those times. So, like, look left, look right, you're not qualifying. The five times that Ireland did qualify, they were still met with very disappointing results. Like, Neve Cavanaugh, she came back in 2010. She was part of the one-two punch that kept Sweden out in 2010. But that ended up finishing 23rd. Jedward did fine. Like, Jedward is, like, the exception to probably everything we are going to be saying (laughs) about Ireland. Uh, but then in 2013, Ryan Dolan, he finished last in the grand final. And then there was that very long dry spell. Some hope in 2018, that finished mid-table. Even looking at the semifinal results, it's just been bottom of the standings. I would say unfairly in a couple of cases, like 2022 uh, with Brooke. Like, I, I was shocked to see that that tied with Malta in the second semifinal. It's like, no, one of those songs is much better than the other one. <laughs> so That really feels to me like the big outlier of I will not be able to explain away how, because that felt like the perfect storm to me of 2022. Brooke was great. Like that was, this is what should, you should be sending. Especially in 2022 when there was a dearth of upbeat poppy songs. Like it was just ballad after ballad and then people were desperate for something dancey. And then Brooke delivered it and it was just rejected kind of outrightly. That's going to be a big thing for the powers that be in Ireland to kind of emotionally overcome. Because if we cannot explain to them why Brooke failed, it's going to be very difficult for them to, I think, infuse themselves to to try. Because it felt like Brooke was kind of going against the grain as to what was expected from a successful Irish entry. Um, and so for that to fail, your options are, okay, we need to go back to tradition, which hasn't been working, or we need to try something radically different again, and we don't know what that is. I think that analysis is spot on. Going back to 2005 and seeing how the televote kind of played into results, because we are now in, in an era where televote is going to decide if you qualify or not. It's not been good results. 14th place in 2005. Like, 2013, I guess, was okay. That was where we had, like, the average ranking system, so we don't actually know how they scored anywhere. (laughs) But, yeah, I'm just, like, looking through all of this. And uh, Let's see. uh, 2018, they finished in top 10 in the televote for their semifinal. 2014. And then 2012 and 2011 and 2006. Like, every other one, it's, like, 14th place, 17th place, 15th place. How do you get the public behind your entry? Because mm-hmm. you need you need that to happen if, if you're going to succeed. I have a very broad emotional opinion on 2021, because I think that was uh, a year where it seemed like everything was going right. It was MAPS with Leslie Roy, and you were looking at, uh, you know, the YouTube videos of our top 40 picks, all those various channels on YouTube of people putting the picks together. That was the first time that with you know, double-digit songs in the running, Ireland was ranking first on those lists. Like, Maps was a song that in the studio version that was delivering. That sounded classically Irish in a way that I think people around Europe want from an Irish entry, but it also had some modern qualities to it. 
I think it was just a big misfiring on having what I still think is the most ambitious staging anyone has attempted at Eurovision. Mm -hmm. And Leslie's voice just couldn't keep up with the amount she was having to do. And so when you've gone from like, okay, we had all the energy behind us, we attempted something massive and it didn't work. It's, it kind of left them feeling dejected. And then to go from that to Brooke, who had this youthful energy behind her and she was sort of bringing her own song to it, to then fail at the gate again, it's, yeah, it's sort of making me feel like the people in charge of shortlisting these songs are kind of seeing the things that should be working failing again and again. And in each case, it is just for a different, very specific reason. It is because analog staging like that is extremely difficult to do or... For some reason, people in Shirin don't like Brooke Scullion. If maps with that staging were done in 2023 and We Are One was their entry in 2021, I think they both would have done better than they did in their uh, actual contest. Oh, I 100% agree, Mike. I think We Are One was totally out of place and it was in a year that it was surrounded by better and more different sort of bands like my take on We Are One earlier this year is like, oh, this is like the song that opens Eurovision. That's the that's the same thing as the theme. It was just so bizarre because it's it's coming in and it's essentially just like, oh, this is the slogan from a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we know. Like, it feels like a slogan song <laughs> because specifically We Are One was the slogan in 2013. They were just predicting the Malmo uh, hosting. <laughs> <2004, so. laughs> I do think that Wild Youth was sort of. The final symptom, as it were, of what I think is maybe Ireland's biggest problem in the last few years, and something that I'm hopeful is going to change quite soon. And that is that the Late Late Show studio is a terrible place to do your show to pick who becomes the person that will represent Ireland, because it is not made for staging, it is not made for performances as large as Eurovision needs. And Wild Youth were quite lucky because that was a place they played before. They knew that studio. This was the first time I had watched Eurosong in full, and I had not fully understood the full context of The Late Late Show as selection ground, and just, like, everything that was happening around the performances was just so wild to me. But also, from, like, an audio perspective, I was like, did they did they bring in the people who do the, the sound mixing on SNL's musical guests? Because, like, it was just bad and it's so bizarre because you you can see even when we're looking at Eurosong this year when you see the vt packages that were made for those acts when you see the work that has gone in on the graphic side of things there are clearly people who know what they're doing and are passionate about it it is just when it comes down to the brass tacks of okay now we're going to have you sing and do a dance routine you know they're doing it in a space that's equivalent to like a small bed set it's, <laughs> it's not made for it and it it can't carry the audience reaction that it needs and it means that everything feels a bit muted it's really difficult to tell which of these acts will translate the best and i think that is to a degree what killed midnight summer night i think we could all say in our heart of hearts that that would have delivered massively in a much larger arena but in that small room it's difficult to see that yeah, and then, like, the, the other portion for me about, like, what's not working about that as a selection method is that 
when they are bringing in a jury, it is it feels like it's a bunch of people who are not in step with where Eurovision has gone since Ireland was winning in the 90s. I like again, just like looking through the history of mentors and people on the jury are people like Linda Martin, who, yes, did win for Ireland, but in like 90, 1992. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you have every one of Jedward's critiques beginning with Eurovision has changed, Eurovision has changed, <laughs> like they're like just begging specifically when like jedward are the smartest people in the room something's going wrong one of my proposed solutions is like just put them in charge i don't care if they're performing again or they're just fighting an artist but they seem to have their finger on the pulse of what's happening in actual eurovision i'd be so happy with that those two back-to-back jedward years was the perfect marriage of okay this has a bit of novelty in the way that it's making people locally who don't care about eurovision talk about eurovision the only times that really happens are when there is an act that's kind of out there in the Eurosong field. So the the three big times that's happened are Dust in the Turkey. Um, we all remember how that went. Jedward, the first time round. And then last year with Public Image Limited, which was so bizarre. And I, I still hold that that was a good move to have them involved. It made people talk about the contest in a way that they weren't otherwise. And obviously due to reasons uh, beyond the control, if they had qualified, I don't think they would have performed anyway. But it, it's safe to say that that is showing people behind the scenes. I think, okay, we need to try something radical. Again, I think all of these things come back to that studio is a terrible place to do it. Because it was, I mean, in their case, it was a bad performance. But it was a bad performance heightened by the fact that it was taking place in a room that was not built for it. I was a huge fan of Wild by Layla Jane. And that was the song that I really desperately wanted to be Ireland's representative. But the room killed it. Yeah. yeah. And also going first, so that like there was no opportunity to adjust for being like, oh yeah, we need to fix the sound here. It's like, oh, nope, too late for her. Sorry. <laughs> Trying to force a dance routine into it that for, you know, this this routine is not going to be the routine that appears in the contest in Liverpool. So why do we need to do this? It's not exactly adding a massive level of theatrics. It still looks like this is taking place in an alleyway. Yeah, like you, there, there is a sense that like, okay, this is not necessarily the final performance. This is sort of still nascent, still figuring it out. Maybe we'll redo the mixing. Maybe we'll redo the, the staging. And like, that's working because like, goodness knows Malta is currently showing us everybody's rough drafts for, for weeks on end right now. When you're in that studio amidst all of what else is going on on the Late Late Show, it's just, it's not the best venue to showcase these songs. And I think now that there's been a change of guard with the Late Late Show, we now have uh, Patrick Keelty as the host, and it does feel like they're trying to shake that show up. I don't necessarily know if it will retain its place as like, that is the home of Eurosong. It feels like this is the chance RTE has to try something new, show that they care about the contest. Because ultimately, when we talk about the judging as well, you know, you talk about Linda Martin and stuff, they're always looking back and they're always looking very pessimistically at things. They're, you know, all the questions, the leading questions that Ryan Tuberty would ask are, why have we been doing so badly? Much like this, you know, no one's talking optimistically about Ireland. And so it's it's difficult to give them their dues when someone comes up onto the stage performing for Ireland. It's hard to not think, oh, bless this is all in vain, isn't it? And I think also, like with with the looking back aspect of it, especially thinking of like the imperial period in the '90s, what was happening in pop music seemed to be aligned with what 
Ireland was producing, where it was much more on the acoustic side, much more on the ballad side. And that's just not where pop music is right now. Like right now, it is very heavy production, very heavy. I'm not even sure what the opposite of ballad would be in this case, but it's just like it's not it's not emphasizing like beautiful singing voices or like the sort of thing that like Neve Cavanaugh would bring, for example. Like, I, I don't think that her winning song would do well at Eurovision today. I think if you looked at it on objective measures, it is checking a lot of boxes, but it's just like, nope, that's just not what the zeitgeist is. I mean, I assume there are people in Ireland that are making music that's more in line with the zeitgeist. Is that a fair assumption to make? I can confirm there are people in Ireland that are making music that people would like. I okay. just don't think, <laughs> I think a big part of the remit that uh, RTE brings forward, and we see this in those acts that appear in the shortlisted five on Eurosong, where it's like, oh, this is an R&B track, but it's got an Irish twist, or this is this is a, a dubstep electro pop track, oh, but it's got an Irish twist. And it's like, those things don't meld though. Like, the song needs to stand on its own merits. It doesn't need to have a wink and a nod to the fact that we won four times in the 90s and those songs all sounded very Celtic. I look at Cyprus, and that is a country that has found its sort of musical identity in the contest and really stuck to it. You know, they they have been through lots of different styles. Uh, Alter Ego is one of my favourites. But after that point, they're like, okay... Fuego worked. Why did Fuego work? Let's try and use that as our guiding light going forwards. And I think Ireland is just sort of struggling trying to figure out, okay, if our vibe is not what it was in the 90s, I don't know what it is. And they keep falling into this trap of, we need to retain some of that in a genre that it won't work with. With whatever is getting selected, because like I think in the case of, of Brooke, like, that was a massive glow up in terms of the staging. I think of Ryan Shaughnessy, like, who has been very vocal about the level of what he needed to push back on and what he took into his own hands in terms of the staging to make sure that things were presented correctly, like when they did get to the big stage. And th- like he qualified. Was there a cake originally? Am I remembering that? Yeah, like that's the, that's, that's the one thing I remember. It's just like that yeah. they, they wanted to have like somebody <laughs> leaping out of a cake or whatever. <laughs> like I, I I don't know where that would fit in at all. Like it's the pianist who bursts out and then walks over <laughs> to the piano. I was also looking at the chart records and they're not strong chart performers. Like a couple of the uh, selections have not charted at all. This year's entry peaked at 93, Brooke peaked at 54, and this is the Irish singles chart. So it's like, okay, if it's not resonating with people of Ireland, like how, how are people abroad going to rally behind it? Yeah, it's it's not in line with what people are listening to in Ireland. And ultimately, I, again, I don't mean to keep circling back to the Late Late Show, the people who are voting are Late Late Show viewers. They're not people who necessarily watch Eurovision. It's a very weird place to sort of pick your pool of potential voters. Yeah, because I get the sense that it's maybe an older demographic that's watching the show. Oh yeah, very much so. Like Late Late Show is the, uh, I think, oldest and longest running chat show in history. And it's got like this like really prestigious lineage, but it does feel quite frumpy. It can't help but feel that way when it's been running for on 60 years and it's also a really long show like for getting through five acts 
and getting to the voting phase, it feels like it goes on for ages. In terms of other factors, the idea of mentorship is good. I, I think just because a lot of these are newer artists. Are we picking the correct mentors? I keep going back to like you talking about how we keep trying to mix some level of Irish flair with genres that it doesn't work with and just keep thinking about how it's like it's like Reese's peanut butter cups, essentially. I'm just like, OK, chocolate and peanut butter. Great. Chocolate and marmite. Harder sell. Yeah. <laughs> we just got to find the peanut butter. Well, I mean, they have that whole giant treasure chest. Uh, during, uh... <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that when I made that reference. But the mentorship, like, when does that relationship even begin? Is it the night of the show? I, I don't see where where that fits in with the selection process. Or is the mentorship something that ha- is part of the prize package and you get mentored after you win Eurosong? Like, I, I'm very confused about that piece of it. I mean, yeah, I, it certainly feels like that would be the way that would logistically make sense mm-hmm. uh, for them to be like, okay, well, it, it's you now, so we need to actually care. But up to that point, you know, it's essentially a one in five. It could go to anyone. Um, and so I don't think they're going to want to sink any costs on, you know, training up people for routines that aren't going to get used. Like, just looking at selection methods, like, it's either been Eurosong or internal selection in the last 15 or so years. And Eurosong has this well, but like, I feel like whoever was doing the internal selecting was not making the right choices either. Like, we, we did get a Ryan Shaughnessy out of it, but also everything around it kind of didn't work. I think, yeah, it comes down to either it's that internal selection or we do Eurosong where it's five potentially weaker internal selections. The dream would be we have a larger... San Remo or Melodic Festival and where, you know, we get a lot of acts and we whittle them down. I did watch TG Cahar's junior Eurovision selection process because uh, Brooke was on it and I was just flicking through the channels. I must say I almost preferred that for as silly and primitive as it was of just like, okay, the kid gets up, they sing a song and then the three judges will say, oh, that was brilliant. That was fantastic. They'll give it a score out of 10. And then the winning child goes on to the final week or something i couldn't necessarily follow it entirely but it just felt snappier it felt more in time with like how music selection works these days like i think that the general structure of what ireland is trying to do is not bad because you have an in-studio audience on some years you have an international jury you have a national jury giving their opinions and all of them give a number and we pick something that has the biggest number great if you look at what Finland is doing, they have a small shortlist. They have seven things. They have international juries weighing in. They have televoters. But there's just like a level of pre-planning for each of those seven songs that I feel like we're not getting for each of the five songs at Eurosong. Absolutely. It's difficult to feel any sort of enthusiasm for it if ultimately of those five, there is still not a track that you really can get behind. And so at that point, I'm getting to choose between five people that aren't going to qualify. There's not a drip that's happening. And you're, you're kind of seeing that right now with Spain, where it's like, okay, they announce who the artists are. And then a month later, they're announcing what the songs are going to be. And then a month later, like, they may release the music videos. Like, it's not a lengthy process in the sense of it being like a 10-week show or something like that. But there's a little bit of new content being released in a way where people can get excited about it or at least be curious enough to want to learn more about the people that are competing rather than it just being this kind of like drop of 
five songs on this show that you may or may not watch. And some randos who aren't going to be watching Eurovision in May are going to be the ones making the decision if they even pick up the phone. So, I mean, <laughs> it could be a case of just like, oh, there's only like 100 people that are voting. Who knows? So. I, yeah, I think even that reach is a big problem. Like uh, a few years back when one of the shortlisted entries was One Night, One Kiss, One Promise, a song I really enjoyed, that was not on Spotify. I still think it is not on Spotify. I can't listen to it. And so if you're missing that for one of the five songs that will potentially go on to represent your nation in the biggest singing competition in the world, it doesn't hold out a lot of faith that you care about the process to begin with. And I I think that kind of goes back to the please put Jedward in charge piece of it because it's just like they're at least on social media like they know how TikTok works that sort of they thing. totally uh, get it yeah <laughs> and I I don't get the sense from anybody else that's in charge of Eurosong that there there's much of a social media or connecting with the audience uh, or like that two way connection with the audience uh, it yeah. feels still very one way broadcast only connection and it's it's Difficult to argue against that as well, because it's like, it's not like they could break it anymore. Like, the idea of putting Jebrid in charge, I love, but if you were someone who thought, oh, well, they're not going to know what they're doing, it's like, okay, and then we, that, how is that worse? Oh, do we somehow not qualify for the semis now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what I'm hearing from that is perhaps Dustin the Turkey be vice chair? or like <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think when you look at, like, Public Image Limited, that is a sign of, okay, this isn't going to work, but we are we are looking at potentially huge, weird ideas. We're looking at, like, we are at the bottom. What can we do that is going to turn us from zero to hero? This is, this is not it, but this is the start of, like, looking for those ideas. I feel like a lot of what has been sent recently from Ireland has been trying to please everybody in the room which is not necessarily how you get votes, because like if you look at what what was doing well at Eurovision this year, Caria is not going to be to everyone's taste. It is big, it is loud, and like it could like it felt very much like this is either going to do great or this is just going to like completely crater. There should be bigger, weirder risks. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Not qualifying? Great news. We've already done that a lot. Ultimately, when this drought does end, whenever that is, the thing that causes the drought to end isn't going to sound like anything that has succeeded for Ireland in the past. You look at something like Wild Youth, I don't mean to keep ragging on them, Mm -hmm. but yeah, if you're everyone's 10th favourite song, you get nowhere. Right. Uh, We need something that's inherently quite divisive. And it sort of feels like, as you're saying, Mike, you need someone like Jemrod in charge who's willing to present you with five super weird options. Mm -hmm. Because at least then something radical is going to get through. That is one of my hopes for 2024 is everybody going, okay, well, we don't have a Lorene. What is our Karia? What is our weird little guy? If everybody sends their weird little guy to Eurovision next year, I will be so delighted. My sort of outside unorthodox thought is I think that Ireland should adopt the San Marino strategy of, okay, let's just be the all-stars. Just yeah, just make it just make it like jury duty. Just like everybody show up, take a number, sing your song. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I keep thinking about San Marino and how it, it really is similar to Ireland in a lot of ways, where it's just like it's kind of in the shadow of a – like, I, I feel like Ireland is in the shadow of the UK, even though UK also is not doing well. But, like, San Marino's in the shadow of Italy. And you're thinking, it's like, oh, well, Italy's doing great. San Marino must also be fantastic. And she's like, well – 
no. <laughs> and as we were just talking, I was thinking, Ireland should get Achille Laro and do something with him. And yeah. <laughs> I, I think that would be so off the wall and like beneficial for everybody. Like I think Achille Laro would be absolutely game for that. Broaden, let's go further than that. Let's say, okay, you know, 2024, we'll get 2025, let's get Daddy Freya in. He's not doing much else at the moment. And we know he's we know he's a done deal. We know people like him. Just like there okay, there was an Irish songwriter in the mix, but like we 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 have selected Daffy Frere. Yeah, there's something to be said for Sam Marino had a moment with Flowrider. They might that may not have done well on the scoreboard, but people were talking about it. That was a story. And I do think that is the path that RTE is looking to go down. Um they want something that's like Wait, who's performing? And I don't know who that is. It's clearly not Public Image Limited. But I I foresee that is the thing that's going to happen. We're going to see uh, next year's shortlist. We're going to get five acts. One of them is going to be just peep someone you've heard of and you didn't expect them to show up. They will perform well enough to qualify. And that will be the throw of the dice for 2024. Looking at this year, it's not a terrible strategy to go, okay, who is our biggest pop star? Because, like, Slovenia did that. Slovenia was like, you know who's hot right now? Joker out. We have convinced them to write a song for us. People got on board with that, and there was, like, a real sense of energy when you saw them perform. Like, oh, yeah, no, this is going to be great. And I can understand why this is so popular in its home nation. I think of um, someone like Seamat, who I yeah. don't think is... Seamat's fantastic. I don't think she's ever been rumored for Eurovision, but it feels like if I was at RTE, I would be hammering her phone right now. Get her on the phone immediately. She is someone who is proving that she has international appeal. She's someone who is sort of meeting that criteria of sounding distinctly Irish, but also with a lot of modern qualities to it. Like, honestly, you know, if you're going to take Eurosong away from the Late Late Show, which I think they're going to... You may as well do an internal selection for the gap year, and you may as well spend all the money you would have spent otherwise on this Eurosong on getting someone worth a damn. The second that you said Seema, I'm like, yes. She's popping up on like my radar, because like uh Stereo Gum, one of the music websites I, I check here that has like a pretty good indie pop sensibility, has been talking about the songs she was she's been releasing this year. So yeah. Maybe the big problem here is that, you know, you take someone like a CMAP and at the point where they're nascent. Uh, you know, it's it's a bit of a fluke if you've heard of them or not. The moment that she starts to prove herself as, oh, she's a big deal, RT are immediately priced out. Yeah, and I think that that sort of strategy has been working. Like, I I, I would kind of put Amanda Tenpured in that category. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I think that was a really good choice for Greece. Should have been a little bit higher on the scoreboard, but that's another thing. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, but I, I, I think if you can get somebody who is on the come up, but like just below popular consciousness maybe like and like that is something that's very difficult to grab onto Mm. but like i mean i think monoskin were also in that boat where it's like they were just on the precipice of crossing over into mainstream and uh, italy was able to snap them up right at that point those artists are out there definitely like you know i'm not necessarily someone who's huge into the irish music scene and that includes northern ireland as well but you know i know of bands that are massively on the up at the moment just on the local scene uh but they haven't quite reached that point of exploding outwards people like uh problem patterns or beauty sleep these are bands that sound totally different from one another and i think you put them in along with you know three other acts 
into a shortlisting, you're going to end up with something that has the potential to explode. That is the that is one alternative. The other alternative being get someone you already know is a done deal, like CMAT. I'm a lot more definitive and impassioned about this than I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, because I, Northern Ireland also gets to participate in the Irish selection, right? Or yeah, get to vote. so yeah, so you have a, you have some skin in the game. So. Yeah, and and Brooke coming from Derry, you know, she is from north of the border. So and that was kind of a big moment in in the sense of oh, that was. It's nice. We do exist. We're up here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Obviously, Northern Ireland's a bit of a, a problem child in that we've sort of got a bit of interest with the UK entry, a bit of interest with the Irish entry. We're never hosting it either way, so it's no problem to us. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I definitely got skin in the game with the Irish entry. I feel a lot culturally closer to the Irish entry. I am always waiting to see how the UK entry does and the Irish entry does. It stings when the Irish entry does bad more than it does when the UK entry does bad. I'm just like getting prepped on my end for the the Irish reunification of 2024 that Star Trek: The Next Generation promised me. <laughs> it's coming. It's yeah. coming. Maybe Eurovision will be the catalyst for that. Who knows? United so. by oh, that's the halftime act. Yes, that's the halftime act. <laughs> Ireland has a history of big swings. Stuff like Mill Street. That's a really weird thing that happened, but it shows there is a an attitude from certain people here of okay you know what no one's done this before let's try that and it's probably just a change of the guard is needed at the top and i'm imagining you would see the effects quite quickly we're a nation that has not found our sound and once we find our sound we'll be fine my hope is that the thing that was keeping ireland stuck in the past was well we have the most wins and we've got the only two-time winner both of those things no longer are solely ours. So we have now had the fire litter under us to try and reclaim that title. I was thrilled when Sweden won exclusively because it meant we lost that record and we couldn't just rest on our laurels anymore. We had to be hungry for it again. That could turn things around. I mean, mm-hmm. that worked for the UK in 2022. So it could it could be Ireland's turn next. We've been knocked down really hard, okay? That's, this is Now it's the time to get back up. Exactly. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us for this discussion and providing color on what, what is happening with Ireland. Because I, I think if we were just doing this from our own like distant outsider perspective, it might have been grimmer. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If such a thing is possible. It was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me both again. Yeah, is there anything that you'd like to plug or point our listeners to? Um, you can follow me on uh, whatever Twitter is called at this point in time when this releases. I'm undeniably Alex. Uh, you can also follow my drag alter ego, Kaylee Ray. That is C-E-I-L-I-R-A-E. Uh, she is funnier than me and posts less frequently, which might be of interest to you. We will have links to all of that in our show notes. Yes. Uh, and that's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What Podcast is hosted by Ben Smith, that's me, and Mike McComb. That's me. Check out our bonus episodes and help support the podcast by visiting our Patreon at patreon.com slash eurowhat. Free access to our full archive of more than 200 episodes going all the way back to the 2018 contest can be found on our website at eurowhat.com. Next time on the Euro What, we have our first song, and it's been out for a month? Let's play catch up with Eurovision news. <laughs>